0: If you have your Bibles, take them and turn to Acts chapter number 8 this morning. Acts chapter number 8. Really, uh, definitely enjoyed the music today. Um, You know, the songs, God of the Ages, and He's the image of the invisible God. Um, I was reading the chapter in a book last night on the Imago Dei, which is the Latin translation of image of God, and just kind of tied together with some things, so just a, just a wonderful, wonderful service this morning thus far, a wonderful spirit, appreciate it. Um, today's a special day for me, um, today's actually uh, our fifth anniversary of being here as the pastor of this church, and I'm uh, very thankful for that, thankful for what God has done in our lives. <coughs> And uh, kind of a cool thing. Um, it's actually on today. December sixth was 2015. Was the day that we started. Uh, it's always that first Sunday. But um, you know, just thinking about it, you know, there's a lot that's happened in the past five years. Not just in the church, but just in life in general. Um, how many? How many can look back at the past five years and and think, man, there's a lot of things I wish I would have told my five-year-old self or five, you know, like things. That, yeah, I think a lot of us uh, just. Just thinking, you know, there's a lot of things I wish I could go back and like, you know, remind myself or encourage myself five years ago to help prepare me. But I don't think anything truly prepares us uh, for what's about to come. Uh, But anyway, I'm just I'm thankful for what God has done these past five years. Um, Acts chapter number eight, Acts chapter number eight. Let's start in verse number twenty five. So go ahead and stand if you would this morning. Acts chapter number eight, verse number twenty five. So today is actually the last message in this series, Above All. Uh, we're going to continue the book of Acts. We're going to take a couple weeks sabbatical, I guess if you'd say, uh, over the next couple weeks and kind of preach some kind of Christmas-related messages for the next few weeks. But um, we'll pick up Acts chapter 9 uh, starting in January. But this section actually ends the section on Above All, and then we'll transition into a new series. I hope and pray that it has been an encouragement to you. I know it's been a great encouragement to me in my life and in my study, everything that God has taught me. But let's go ahead and start in verse number 25. The Bible says, And they, when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord. So this is talking about, and I'll reference it here in just a minute, but it's talking about um, the apostles as well as Philip. Uh, They were in Samaria. God sent them to Samaria. Remember, they they were sent to the place they didn't want to go to reach people they didn't want to reach. And they, when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, returned to Jerusalem and preached the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. Now, we don't know exactly how long uh, this took place. I mean, it could have been weeks, could have been months. Uh, I think many of them stayed there and continued to preach the word of God to the Samaritans. But then verse number 26, where our story really takes off this morning. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip. Now, remember, Philip was one of the the seven chosen, uh, really what we call disciples, and Philip turned into an evangelist, though one that just proclaimed the gospel to others uh, back in uh, Acts chapter number 6. But the angel of the Lord spoke unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza. So the Holy Spirit was yielding him and, and speaking to him to actually get up and to leave, to go, which is desert, verse number twenty seven. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch, and great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure. So he was in charge of all of the queen's treasure, and had come to Jerusalem for to worship. He was returning and sitting in his chariot. He was reading from, as it says Isaias or Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. So the Holy Spirit was prompting Philip to go and and talk to this man that was in this chariot. Because in Bible times, especially, a lot of times when they read, a student read, they read out loud. It wasn't just they read to themselves; they read out loud. So Philip heard that he went to join himself to this chariot, and Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaias, or Isaiah. And said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I accept some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. Now let's go ahead and stop right there. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for this day. And Lord, uh, God, I'm, I'm just so thankful. I don't really have words to say right now. As I've kind of looked back at my own life in the past five years and you know where you've brought me and my family's life, and even the church, and Lord, even, again, just the songs that were sung this morning, and how instrumental they are in my life, and God, I pray that you'd help us to, to never forget the wonder of who you are, and continue to be filled with amazement for all that you do in our lives. Lord, you are the God of the ages, and God, I'm thankful for that, and I'm thankful for what you've taught me, and what you've done in my life. And Lord, again, words, I can't even put it into words. I'm so overwhelmed at your goodness and your grace, at your sovereignty, at your sufficiency. And God, I pray that you'd be with me this morning. I pray that you'd help me to to make clear the message that you have given me. And I pray that you would just continue to be with our church. Help us to go forward. We love you in Christ's name, I pray. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. As we mentioned last week, the Jews had or the Christians that, that were Jews, they had had to leave Jerusalem because of persecution there at the end or beginning of chapter eight. and they spread out into Judea and into Samaria. And as we looked at last week that Samaria was joyfully disrupted because of the gospel. And one of the men that we had looked at last week, Simon the sorcerer, Uh, The Bible says in verse number 13 that he had believed and he was baptized. And uh, really, the the point we made, because later on in the passage, Peter kind of rebukes him, because I, I believe that Simon had a misguided identity. I think Simon didn't fully understand everything about God, about salvation, and really, who does the moment you get saved? I don't think anyone truly understands everything about God and everything about salvation the moment you get saved, but... The, the story, what we were referring to, and what we were trying to allude to last week, is that I think within all of us, we have that identity crisis. And, and within each of us, there is that, that as I kind of referenced, that that man behind the curtain. Think about the Wizard of Oz, that sometimes it needs to be pulled back. And the Lord wants to redeem us, and He wants to show us who we truly are. So we'd fo- we kind of focused more on Simon last week, but there's an individual that we haven't focused so much on thus far in our story and in our journey in Acts, and it's the man Philip. Again, who was Philip? In Acts chapter six, we're introduced to him. He was one of the, uh, as some commentaries refer to him, he was one of the magnificent seven. He was one of the the seven early um, deacons of the church, and one of the chosen to to help the church. And he was he was really just a lay individual that loved God. That understood who he was in Jesus Christ. He understood his gospel identity, as we've been talking about. And as we've already referenced in earlier in chapter eight, Philip was one that really helped transform people because of the gospel. And and I love just studying Philip's life and understanding what what exactly he's done. Um, You know, there's so many questions that I'm thinking about asking. I'm gonna kind of skip some of those for now. But in our passage, here's what we discover. God uses ordinary people, non-apostles a lot of times, to take the first short-term mission trip. And Philip had shared the gospel with a, a foreigner in the, in the book of Acts and here in chapter number 8, where he shares the gospel with an Ethiopian. And here's what I want you to learn. Guys, skip that first question and go to the next slide. The first, slide that I, or first thing I want, want you to get is this. God's cutting edge is you. God's cutting edge is you. What I mean by that is that God wants to use individuals to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim the good news. A lot of times when we look at the Bible and we study the Bible and we study God's Word, it's very easy for us to think, well, God only uses like, you know, supernatural, powerful people, individuals that are just, you know, amazing. And, and that is true, but when you really study God's Word, God uses individuals, God uses individuals that want to serve Him, that want to live for Him. And when you study Acts, especially, that's where we are, when you study the book of Acts, you see that that the message of the gospel is really going forward, not necessarily just by the apostles, but by individuals. And And I've said it before, but the gospel travels faster around the world through the mouths of ordinary people than it does from the journey of the apostles. Ordinary people have been and will continue to be the tip of the gospel spear, And that's what I mean when I say that God's cutting edge is you. God's cutting edge is lay people. And we should never forget that, that God wants to use us. And I don't want you to answer this, but again, why do we come to church? Think about that. Don't answer it out loud, but why do we come to church? We're going to try to talk a little bit more in depth about that question in our EQ time but the reason we come to church is not, again, just to make it an event, as I've talked about before. It's not just to mark it off a list. We come to church to receive, right? To receive God's word, to hear the truth that God has given us from his word. But the, also, the reason we come to church to, to not only receive, but to, to reproduce, to be a reproducer. You know, it's my job as a pastor to help equip you for the work of the ministry. It's my job to help train you, to to give you the tools necessary for you to go forward and go out in the world and and disciple other people. Again, discipleship is something that all of us should be a part of and and engaged in, but a lot of times we find ourselves not engaged in what God has called us to do. And the thing that I've realized in my life, not just as a pastor, but as a Christian, is that I must be deliberate, right? I must be deliberate about my actions. If I'm not deliberate about something, then you know what? It's probably not going to get done. But if I'm deliberate about something and if I'm disciplined in that, there's a good chance it's going to get done. And what we have to do is we have to be deliberate about leveraging our lives for the progress of the gospel. And here's what our story teaches us. And starting in verse number 26, the first thing I want you to see is this. Philip yielded himself to the Holy Spirit's guidance. Philip yielded himself to the Holy Spirit's guidance. Philip received the message from the angel of the Lord, as it says here in verse number 26, the angel of the Lord spoken to Philip because Philip was with the other apostles and Christians in Samaria and and preaching and going through the villages and, and sharing the gospel news of Jesus Christ. But God had other plans for Philip because again, he wanted the great commission, that commission that he had gave to all of the disciples and all the Christians to go forward into all of the world. And it's just now starting to get outside of Jerusalem. But Philip received the message from the angel of the Lord to go to the road between Jerusalem and Gaza. And we learn a lot about Philip. But the thing that stands out to me is his faithfulness to preach and his faithfulness to obey a prompting. I want you to think about that this morning. How many times, and again, I'm asking more, I guess, questions that I don't necessarily want responses this morning. But how many of us are faithful to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to other people? How many of us are faithful in actually obeying God? Again, obedience to God is more than just coming to church. It's living the Christian life the way that God has intended us to live it. And Philip, again, just in studying of his life, not just in this passage, but in other texts and other books that I've read, it's just an amazing testimony of faithfulness. Someone that was truly faithful to God. Now, I want you to note something in the end of verse number 26. The words of Scripture are very important because the angel of the Lord had sent him out and he went down to the road, go with from Jerusalem into Gaza. And notice those last three words. It says, which is desert? So, some of you guys in text messages can emphasize a text. So, I want you to emphasize this text right here. He went to a desert place. Now, this is important because Gaza was a very nasty, out-of-the-way town. You know, I thought about it in relationship to driving. How many ever driven through through towns that, like, there's literally nothing there? Like, I mean, yeah. You know, we went to Colorado uh, a week ago or so, I guess, um, Thanksgiving. And, you know, driving up 287. There's towns here in Texas and even in Colorado, like, you drive through and the speed limit drops from, like, 75 to, like, 35 like that. And there's, like, 15 cops waiting for you. Don't you love those towns? Uh, But anyway... Uh, it's like, why? What, what are they doing? Is like, you know, the population is 100, and of those are police officers waiting to nab you. Uh, but anyway, uh, I, I think of it kind of like that: that you're going through this this town, kind of out of the way. There's nothing really there. I mean, some of these towns, uh, Amanda's she had asked me. She's like, all right, we need to stop, and go to the restroom here soon. I was like, well, we're gonna have to wait because there is literally nothing in this town. We drove through, and there's nothing. I mean, I can go knock on this one door because there's three houses here. But let's let's go ahead and go to the next town. So in my mind I kinda of think of it like that The Gaza is this this out of the way, nothing there type town, but when you study it more in context, it's it's really kind of a, a disgusting town and here here's why in relationship to the Jews. It was a Philistine city. Now if we know anything about Jewish history, the Philistines and the Jews, did they get along? No. no. Uh, I think there's a famous famous story in the Bible about David and some giant. Anybody ever heard that story? Okay, all right. Yeah, he was a Philistine, not David, but the giant, Goliath. Uh, So this was a Philistine town. So again, enemies of the Jews. So that's where the angel of the Lord is is sending Philip to. But again, what stands out to me is that the gospel had so transformed Philip's life that any prejudice that he might have had in his life was taken away. We've already alluded to the fact that the Samaritans were hated. They were hybrids. They were half-breeds. They they were, you know, disgusting individuals to the Jewish individual, and yet Philip, a Jew himself, he is preaching to these people, and now he's going towards Gaza, and not even necessarily talking about the Philistines, but he's preaching to an Ethiopian, man from Africa. He's, He's a black man, but the bottom line is that This is way out of the comfort zone for Philip or any other Jew. It's inconvenient to get there. He had to walk some 150 miles that some commentaries reference. And as he's there, as he's going, the Bible says in verse 27, he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia. Now today, Ethiopia is a very small country, but in that day, Ethiopia was a very large area. It was basically everything in Africa south of the Nile River south of Egypt, a very huge area. Now this guy is a slave who was in charge of all of Queen Candace's treasure. He's a very important individual. The Bible says that not only is he an Ethiopian, but he is a eunuch. Now he had been castrated. I'm not going to go into depth about that. If you want to find out more information about that, Brother Mike will be glad to talk to you after church and help you understand what that means, okay? All right, just line up and he'll talk to you about that, right? He's ready. He's ready. (laughs) There were specific reasons they did that in those days, but this guy had come to believe in the God of Israel. Because what we find out is that in verse 27, the end of verse 27, he went to Jerusalem to worship. There were a lot of non Jews that went to Jerusalem to worship. Now, they weren't allowed into the temple at those times, but he had believed in the God of Israel. Verse number. Twenty-nine. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. So that's where we see this morning that Philip is yielding himself to the Holy Spirit's guidance. There are some 59 references of the Holy Spirit in Acts, and about 40 of them are talking about the Holy Spirit speaking to an individual. And I guess before I go on, because I'm building up this message this morning, but... Here's the question that we have to ask. We're looking at Philip, and Philip is yielding himself to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is prompting him to go out of his way to a town. He's prompting him to talk to an individual. How many have ever felt the Holy Spirit prompt you to talk to someone? Anybody? I think many of us. Now, how many have ever had the Holy Spirit prompt you to talk to someone, and you didn't? Like me, many times over. And the thing that that stands out to me, and and I'm sure there might have been times in Philip's life where he didn't, But at this particular moment, when the Holy Spirit prompted him, you know what he did? He did it. He yielded to what God was asking him to do. And my question for us this morning is, are we even aware that the Holy Spirit might be speaking to us? Because the truth is, if you are saved, the Holy Spirit will speak to you. That is true. That is is Bible facts. The Holy Spirit will speak to you. When is the last time that you had a sense that he was sending you to a place or even calling you to something or putting something or someone on your heart to talk to? And that the easy thing to do is when we when we have that, that still small voice inside of us, it's, yeah, man, I'm not going to talk to them. Like, no, it's, that's, that's inconvenient. It's out of my way. I don't want to talk to him. I'm going to call the pastor. I'm going to call the pastor's wife. They can go talk to him. But I want you to understand there's a very important truth before I move on in this message today. You know, Philip had helped the church at Jerusalem, the the early Christians. and, And what I see from Philip's life and really this early church is that they were a missional church. And what I mean by that is that they wanted to be about the mission of God. They wanted to be about the mission of Jesus Christ. And a missional church is composed of individuals who are led by the Spirit like Philip. You see, here's the truth. God will direct us, but we must yield to the Spirit in full obedience. God will direct our lives, but we must yield to the Spirit in full obedience. Philip yielded himself to the Holy Spirit. He listened to the Holy Spirit's leading. He listened to the Holy Spirit's prompting. Let's continue on in the narrative this morning. Verse number 30. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read from the prophet Isaiah and said, understandest what thou readest. And the second thing I see this morning, and we'll unpack this this morning, but Philip compassionately engaged. Philip compassionately engaged. And I can't help but think of Jesus when I read about Philip. You know, the Bible tells us that Jesus was full of compassion. The Bible says that Jesus was moved with compassion. As those that were sheep having no shepherd. And that's exactly what I see from Philip, that Philip sees an individual and he is running towards him because one, God and the Holy Spirit is prompting him, but he knows that this prompting isn't just to say, hey man, how are you doing? Hope you're having a good day. All right, I'm gonna see you later. No, this prompting was to share the gospel, to proclaim the gospel because Philip wanted to help others understand what the gospel said. And as Philip drew near this chariot, he heard him reading from the prophet Isaiah. And the truth is that God had already prepared this individual to receive Philip's witness. Now, there's been many times in my life where I've gone, whether I knocked on the door, whether I've talked to someone, and they were ready to hear. But there's been other times where I've talked to someone and they weren't ready to hear. Uh, vividly, I think I've used this illustration before. Uh, in Bible college, we, we did a lot of visitation and door knocking. And I think on my bus route, there was one time where we were you know, doing a lot of door knocking. A lot of times it didn't. We didn't have a lot of results from that. You know, there were many times where we were chased away and, and run off. And And uh, I remember vividly one time that, you know, we were walking by a house and, and this dog outside was just barking at us. And, you know, just in my, I guess, brash, you know, college self, I was like, shut up, dog. You know, I wasn't like mad or anything like that. And the the people that lived in the house, they had their windows open They're like, you shut up. I was like, hey, I think we need to keep walking. That's not a house that we need to go to. OK, so, so I kept walking. Um, but anyway, there, is, there was another time where, you know, I wanted to be done. Because a lot of times you go and you don't really see any results. And you're knocking doors. And you're trying to share the gospel with people and trying to invite people to church. And, and it's kind of one of those things. All right, let's just go to, you know, maybe one more apartment complex and one more housing development. Let's just, you know, knock and see what's going to happen. And we knocked. And we, and we kind of shared where, who we are and, and where we're from. And it was an amazing thing. You know, as we're sharing, it's, it's like the Holy Spirit was definitely prompting in this house and in these individuals. And we're talking to him about the gospel, we're talking to him about the Lord, and, and, and the lady told me, I remember, she's like, you know what, we've just been talking about this. We've just been saying, man, we need someone to show us what the Bible is about. I'm like, I think I can help you. <laughs> and it was an awesome thing, because myself and the, fr- my, the friend that was with me, we were able to lead that entire family to Christ. And it, it just blew me away. And it was another thing that God was saying that, hey, do what I'm asking you to do. Yield to my, my spirit's prompting. Do what I've called you to do. And there's been many times that's, ha- that's happened in my life. But listen, there's been a lot of times where I've said, you know what? No. Forget you, Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm being honest. You know what? I have other plans that are more important. I really have to, to have to get through the line, and I really have to get home, so I don't have time to talk to this individual. Again, many people probably are with me on that. But again, Philip, he is yielding himself to the Holy Spirit, but also he is compassionately engaging. He sees this individual who is reading the Bible, and, and it's clear that he doesn't understand. Verse number 30, this is basically what it's saying. Philip goes up to him and says, Hey, hey, do you understand what you're reading? And when you study the Greek, this is his response. No. I mean, that's, that's in the Greek. If you studied out in the Greek, his response is no. I don't understand. And, and, and really, verse number 31, look what it says. And he said, how can I? How can I understand this? How many of you have ever read your Bible and you don't understand it? Anybody? All right, I'm glad I'm not alone there. There's been many times I've read my Bible and I don't understand. So verse number 30, Philip asked him, hey, I hear that you're reading. Do you understand what you're reading? Uh, no, I don't how can I accept some man should guide me? Basically, he's saying, how can I understand this unless someone tells me what this is about? Now, this is pretty awesome. You see, this is where the church comes in. This is where you come in as individuals. Yes, it's important for the pastor to be studied up and understanding of God's word, but the world outside, they're not going to understand their Bible unless we tell them, unless we explain it to them. I know Brother Mike has had many opportunities to to share the gospel with people that he's worked with and other people. And the truth is, a lot of them didn't understand the Bible, right? So they needed someone to help them. That's where we come in. But I've never been to Bible college. I don't have a theological degree. You don't have to. You don't have to. And my wife and I have been talking about this a lot in depth. A lot of people in our churches don't know how to study the Bible. But the truth is, on a deeper level, most of them don't even try. They don't even attempt because I don't understand it. You know, it's too confusing. And I understand it can be confusing, but here's the truth. The Holy Spirit will help us understand. You don't have to have 15 books on your table like I do sometimes, but the Holy Spirit will help you. But at the same time, it's just sometimes it's just sitting under someone else and listening to what they say and then reproducing that. How many have ever sat under someone else that has taught and listened to what they said? Anybody else ever done that? You're doing it right now. (laughs) You sat under teaching. So again, the teaching that we sit under, whether it's children or youth or adult ministry, whatever it is, the teaching you sit under kind of like Jesus with his disciples. They sat under the teaching of Jesus and then what do they do once Jesus left? I don't know what to do. No, they took what they received and then they reproduced it. God helped them. But this is where the church comes in when I think of this story. This man, he's like, I can't understand it. I don't understand it. I need someone to explain it to me. Philip obviously had gone through his connect classes, so he knew what to tell him. But as a Christian, you're going to meet people in your witness that don't understand God's word. And you know what? It's your job to help guide them. And it's more than just some canned phrases that you learned in Sunday school as a kid growing up. All of us can, and, you know, list off some canned phrases that we've heard a preacher say, and we, we share it with someone and we feel smart. But it's more than that. In helping them understand God's Word, you have to be studied up on God's Word. I think of what 1 Peter says, 1 Peter 3.15. The Bible says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Here's what Peter is saying about this verse when you study it out, and study it out in the text. Whatever response you receive from the world, be ready at any time to give defense of what you believe and what you know to be true. And there's going to be times where people question your faith, right? Well, do you really believe what that preacher says? Do you really believe what the Bible says? Well, you know what? I don't really know. Well, you'll know if you've studied and that's what Peter is telling us in 1 Peter that we should always be ready to give an answer to, to defend what we believe. But really, and I'm not asking you to raise your hand, how many of us probably could defend what we believe? There's probably a lot of us that couldn't. Because we've never studied. Well, it's not my job. No, it is your job as a Christian, as a child of God. Look, Christians must be strong in their witness, in their lives. So that when given the opportunity, they can be strong in their witness with their words. Now, this Ethiopian, he is reading from the prophet Isaiah. Specifically, he is reading from Isaiah chapter 53, which describes our Lord as the suffering servant and the sacrifice for sinners. We continue on. uh, Verse number 31. He desired Philip that he would come and sit with him in the chariot. And verse number 32, the place of the scripture which he read was this He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. This is Isaiah 53. Really, verses 6 and 7 is kind of what it's referencing. And like a lamb dumb before the shear, so opened he not his mouth. It's talking about Jesus, the Messiah that would come. In his humiliation, the judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh? The prophet this. Is Isaiah talking about himself? Is Isaiah talking about some other individual? Verse 35, Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same Scripture. So he took him back to the very place that he's reading, and he preached unto him Jesus, because he understood that all Scripture points back to Jesus. And this quotation from Isaiah 53 was written almost 800 years prior to this event. And all of this came true because Jesus was as that lamb that was slain and, and as it says, uh, before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. Even when Jesus stood before Pilate and he was accused of heinous crimes and, and things, did Jesus open his mouth? No, he didn't. So the prophecy has come true. And he's asking, who who is, who is he speaking about? You know, I think... This is just a little side note, but I, I found this interesting in my study. I think one of the main reasons that this Ethiopian wants to know is because in Jerusalem at that time there was a sign in front of the outer court of the temple that said, "This: no lame, no blind, no eunuchs may enter here." Who was he? He was a eunuch, so he's under, he's wanting to understand because in Isaiah chapter fifty-six it references that 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 part about the eunuchs. And we continue on in the story, and this is again where it it gets good. Verse number 36. And as they went on their way, they came into certain water. So what happened is that as Philip is preaching, that light bulb is starting to turn on in the Ethiopian's life and mind and eyes. And he's starting to understand Verse 36, And as they went on their way and came into a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? So obviously he had known about baptism. Maybe in Jerusalem he had saw many people being baptized, and he he knew that that was something that needed to happen. But notice verse number 37. This is very important. And Philip said, Well, nothing hinders you, but, well, I guess there is something. Because if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he's saying, hey, now baptism is important, but baptism must follow salvation. So you must believe that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Son of God. And if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Son of God, that he is the one that was talked about in Isaiah, then nothing is going to hinder you from being baptized. And what we see in verses 36 through 40 is the Ethiopian got a new identity. This guy got saved And it gives us a better understanding of salvation and even of baptism. How did he know that believers were supposed to be baptized? Maybe he saw others. But throughout the book of Acts, baptism is an important part of the believer's commitment to Christ and witness to Christ. You know, we often refer to it as a step of obedience. I was talking to Brother Mike about that just a couple days ago. That it is a step of obedience. I was asking him some questions with some things in Mexico and different things like that. But again, notice that baptism happens after salvation. Verse number 38, and he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, this is important, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them, or him, sorry, not them. (laughs) And when they were come up out of the water, that's That's where we get baptism and baptize. comes from the Greek baptizo, which means to to dip or to dunk, to go under. So they went into the water. They went under the water. They came up. And really, it's a picture and representation of Jesus Christ's death on the cross, his burial, and his resurrection. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip. Now, this is a cool thing. As soon as they came up out of the water, as soon as he was baptized, Philip was gone. That eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. Now, every once in a while, you might hear people say, well, Christianity is a western Western thing. That's not true. Christianity is not just a western thing. You know, the gospel, first of all, spread to places like Africa. You know, we had a missionary a few weeks back that talked about Africa and what's going on there. And really, 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 even today, we're seeing amazing results. People being saved and, and persecution that's going on there. Now, I want to read something from Tony Evans. He's a preacher in the Dallas area. But he says, this account of the Ethiopian official is significant for three reasons. First, it acknowledges the existence of a royal kingdom of dark-skinned people at the time of the first century. Second, it records the continuation of Christianity in Africa after having been initiated through the first African Jewish proselytes. And third, it verifies God's promise in Zephaniah 3 about followers of God who would come from Cush or Ethiopia. And as you trace the expansion of the gospel during the history of the world in Acts chapter 2, verse 10, you see that the Holy Spirit reaches out into the whole world. Because what did Jesus say in Acts chapter 1, verse 8? He says, I want the gospel to spread to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, but then where else? Everywhere else, right? Everywhere else I want the gospel to spread. And the whole world... Now this is interesting too. The whole world, when you go back in Genesis, was peopled by three individuals. Anybody know who they were? Ham, Shem, and Japheth. And God wants the whole world and all of their descendants to hear the message of the gospel. We know from church history, from the likes of Eusebius and Irenaeus, that this Ethiopian returned to his country and started the first church there. By the 4th century, this is important, this is interesting to note. By the 4th century, Christianity was Ethiopia's official religion. And it all started from this one individual. Now that's amazing, isn't it? Now, before there even the first white Western European converts... We have a thriving church meeting in the capital of Africa, and that's pretty awesome. Because it shows us and tells us that God is not a racist God, that He's not just for one group of people, but He's not willing that any should perish. He is wanting everyone to be saved. And sometimes in our Western Christianity, we get that mixed up. You know, we think of Jesus as some European guy with long hair. That's not who He is. But Jesus wants the whole world to be saved. And that's what this story is teaching us. But then, verse number 40, or verse 39, Philip was caught away. Now, that's, that's pretty cool as well. In verse number 40, Philip was found at Azatos. Passing through, he preached in all the cities and, and he came to Caesarea. Philip ended up about 20 miles from Gaza. He made his way from Caesarea, or made his way to Caesarea, a journey of about 60 miles. And he just continued preaching. And in my study, what, what I found interesting in just my own reading, not necessarily commentaries, but this is the first teleportation, teleportation device that was ever used. Like, honestly, he was just whisk away. Some of you guys don't believe in teleportation, but he was teleported, all right? Obviously, it's not in the text, but the guy was like, beam me up, Scotty, right? That's what he said, and God beamed him up and beamed him out of the way. You're like, I don't know what you're talking about. It's a reference to, like, old history, okay? Trying to lighten the mood up a little bit here. But I mean, just imagine that. You know, he's getting baptized and all of a sudden he comes up and the guy that baptized him is gone. Uh, that's, I mean, that would be like pretty, pretty amazing to think about. And it wasn't just the Ethiopian eunuch. There were other individuals with him that all saw this, that all witnessed this. But after disappearing, Philip continued preaching the gospel, working his way north. Now, one of the most curious things about Acts is how Luke goes out of his way to show that the gospel was spread around the world by laymen, lay individuals. You see, God used ordinary individuals for the first time in history, for the first international mission. God prepared Philip, and he prepared the eunuch, and he brought them together. But when you think about Philip, you see an individual, listen, whose heart was wide open to the gospel. And it wasn't just his heart was wide open to the gospel. Philip is a picture of someone whose heart was wide open to all types of people. All types of people. Not just his own. And again, even in American Christianity, I know there's only one race, but racism exists. Because there are people that someone of another ethnicity would walk in, what are they doing here? It's not their church. They have their own church. How foolish of us. How dare we act like that? The gospel shows us that the gospel is for all. You know, Brother Mike was telling me, he's told me before, but I don't know the individual's names and it's not really important, but he he told me of a time when he was in Mexico when you were younger, right? Teenager, I think it was. And there was another missionary family down there in Mexico serving God, but they hated the Mexicans. Now, how does that work? And he remembers vividly talking with his parents and, and countless times these individuals, you know, these stupid Mexicans, I hate these Mexicans. Well, why are you even there? They had a wrong, at, well, God wants me there. Well, if God wanted you there, then he would show you how to love them. <laughs> but they couldn't be, get beyond their own prejudice, right? And it, it's sad. And there's a lot of people like that today, aren't there? There's a lot of people like that today. Can't get beyond their own prejudice. They see someone that's different than them. They don't deserve the same things that I deserve. Who are you? Who are any of us? What Acts teaches us, what this story teaches us, the gospel is for everyone. And here's what we see from Philip's life. Get this down, that we should love people with a gospel-centric love. We should love people with a gospel-centric love. A gospel-centric love loves like Jesus, who loves everyone the same. No matter your race, no matter your ethnicity, no matter the color of your skin, no matter if you're fat, if you're skinny, no matter who you are, God loves you the same. Aren't you thankful for that? You should. What makes a good missionary? To me, an individual that loves people and reaches beyond racial barriers. That's what makes a good missionary. And Philip is a picture of Christ. He's a picture of an individual that loved others no matter what they looked like. Now, there's a contrasting story in the Bible of an individual who was sent to a place he didn't want to go, and he wanted the people to burn up and die. Anybody know that story? Jonah. So here we have a story like Jonah who went to Nineveh, didn't like the Ninevites and didn't like those people there because they weren't Jews. God sent them there to preach the gospel and and share the good news of of God with them so that they wouldn't perish and they they would be saved. And Jonah was waiting for their destruction. He wanted them to be destroyed. But then we have Philip who is reaching out to anyone, the least and, and the lost. You know, Jonah was arrogant. And it really made him a reluctant missionary. And really, the the truth is, just in my own thought this week, that we have a culture, a church culture, that is full of Jonah's. I'm talking about the the bad version of Jonah, where, you know, okay, I'll I'll, I'll share the gospel with these people, but I hope they just die. I mean, they they just deserve to just be blown up. But here's the truth. In a culture of Jonah's, We need to be Philip. In a culture of Jonah's, the people, an individual that hates others because they don't look like them, we need to be Philip. And listen, there is no gap between the call to follow Jesus and the call to engage in the Great Commission. One theologian I read this week said this, God is like a spiritual cyclone. He never pulls you in without almost instantaneously hurling you back out. And here's the key truth to get down. Get this down. We're almost done. Involvement in mission is not something you do later. This whole series, Above All, Commissioned, Come Alive, all these series that we've done, the past three series, are all pointing to the same thing. Our involvement in missions our personal involvement in missions. It's not just for a select few individuals. And involvement in missions is not something you do later. It's not something you graduate into. Well, maybe when I'm older, then I'll start loving people the way that I'm supposed to love them. No, you're supposed to love them now. And I've even heard it in church. the Man, the, the negativity of other people, the, the the racist remarks for other individuals. And it's sad. But listen... God placed involvement in the original call to follow Him. In our call to follow Him, in our call to fulfill the Great Commission, it wasn't, well, you know what, if you feel like it, go ahead and do it. No, involvement, what does involvement mean? Amanda, what does involvement mean? Being involved. Very good. It means you're involved. It means you're engaged, right? Right? So, again, I'm asking a lot of questions and I want hand, hand raised and, and feedback. But are you truly involved in the mission of Jesus Christ? You know, we've had opportunities to go on mission trips and we're going to continue that. We have two planned for 2021 and I'm excited about that. And the truth is, some people will never go and there's a variety of reasons why they'll never go. But some will never go plainly because they don't want to. Because they have no desire. They have no desire to follow God, to do what God called them to do. And there's a a myriad of excuses why we can't go on a mission trip. And there's a lot of things that might come into our mind of, of, of worries and fears. But here's the truth. If God has called you, do you trust Him enough? Right, Mike? If God has called you, do you trust Him enough? Believe that He will take care of you. This early church and the early disciples, you know what? They put their own agendas on the back burner. It wasn't about that. It was about how can I reach others, even even if it means losing my life? Well, I don't want to lose my life. Look, I don't want to necessarily lose my life either, but there's something far greater waiting for me in the next life. And I want to meet my Savior I want to hear that well done, but I want to hear him pleased with me because I was doing what he called me to do. I don't want to be busy about my own things and about my own life. God placed involvement in the original call to follow him. And this series, the last series, the series before that, is all leading up to this, that involvement is key. Look, I realize that I need to do a much better job over the past five years of teaching, of training, of helping us understand what our marching orders are. Look, hearing the message is important, but living out the message is vital. And here's what I want you all to take from this series in Acts. I want you to hear the message and then I want you to go live on mission. Which means, go do what you're supposed to do. Not like, oh man, pre- preacher, that was another great message, now I'm going to go live for myself. Then you got nothing out of it. You know, Philip is living out his gospel identity, is he? He is. He is. He's doing what God has called him to do. And what God has called us to do is to be a bunch of little missionaries that are going out into our villages, into our homes, into our workplaces, and share the gospel. Because there are people that you will meet that I will never meet. There are people that you come in contact with that God wants you to share the good news of the gospel with that many of us are failing to. And the key to this whole message and this whole series comes down to this. Involvement. It's not something you're going to do later. Well, you know what? When I'm older, that's when I'll do it. When I figure things out in life, when, when I finally have my 401k set, that's when I'll start getting involved in things like that. No. You know, there is never a perfect time to do anything in, on, in, all, in all honesty. But God has placed involvement in the call to follow Him. And especially in studying this passage and studying Philip's life, I want to encourage you and challenge you. Be a Philip. Don't be a Jonah. Be someone that loves people with a gospel-centric love no matter who they are. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Heavenly Father, we love you. Lord, I thank you for this message and I thank you for this series. We're still not done with the book of Acts. There's still so much more that we'll look at and we'll get back to that in January, but God, I pray that you'd help first and foremost myself to truly understand this and grasp the concept that you're calling individuals, you're calling lay people, you're calling people like me, like the ones that are sitting here to do your work. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be involved in your work, to be busy about your work. God, I pray that you'd help us to be like a Philip that loves people with the love that Jesus Christ had. When Jesus came to this earth, there were a lot of people that, that ridiculed him, that, that persecuted him, that hated him, and yet he still showed them compassion. And we see amazing things from Philip's life that he yielded himself to the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit prompted him, he did what he was supposed to do. And there are probably some within these services, within these messages over the past several months, that the Holy Spirit has been prompting you to make a decision. Maybe it's the decision to to trust Christ as your Savior, to get saved, to, to realize that you are not saved, to realize that Jesus is your only source of salvation. Maybe He is prompting you to trust Him as your Savior, and you haven't done that. What's hindering you? What are you waiting for? Understand that you are a sinner. You are in need of a Savior. You need the Savior, which is Jesus Christ. Believe on Him and you will be saved. Maybe you are saved and the Holy Spirit has prompted you to get more involved in the mission of the church. Get more involved in gospel engagement. Maybe you've done a few things and that's good, but are you doing what you're supposed to do? Are you doing everything that you need to do?